Good evening, Hampton Roads. Welcome to another edition of Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm your host, certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, coming to you live like we do every second and fourth Tuesday of the month to dialogue with you, take your calls. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, then we'd love to hear from you. All we need is your first name, city you're calling from, and no matter what I'm talking about, if it's important to you, it's important to me. We'll get you right on air. 627-7979. Don't forget the area code. 757-627-7979. Wealthway Financial Advisors is the proud sponsor of Dollars and Common Sense. We are an independent registered investment advisor, which means we're legally held to a fiduciary standard to put our client's interest ahead of our own in any business dealing. And that's the way it should be when you work with a financial advisor. As the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. So by design, we can't work with everyone. We work with a relatively small group of high net worth individuals, but that's one of the reasons we feel so strongly about coming here every second and fourth Tuesday at 6 p.m., Let's reach out and help as many people in the Hampton Roads listening area that we can achieve your measure of financial success. Because it is a core belief at Wealthway Advisors that the overwhelming majority of people in this country have the opportunity for financial security if they choose it. And it is a choice because it takes some time, it takes some effort, and it takes some knowledge. We are here to help. You can take that first step, though. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 627 7979. Whether you want to talk about anything having to do with the investment markets, the economy, insurance products, life insurance, health insurance, property casualty, taxes, tax planning, tax reduction strategies, retirement planning, retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, TSPs, IRAs, Roth IRAs, mortgage options, social security claiming strategies, or estate planning, wills, and trusts. All that and more falls under the pr- of the umbrella of personal finance we are here to discuss tonight 627-7979 and yes i am in the studio tonight missed the last show back in october uh because of the water main break that <laughs> happened outside the building and uh i got uh i got thwarted i could not get to the palatial uh, offices of wnis and dominion tower due to the water main break uh, it's, it was like four weeks ago now. Yeah, it's too bad you didn't you know, bring your swim trunks. Could have had the show. <laughs> right. Well, if somebody from the station didn't call me and tell me, I would have been fighting probably through the water and through the police barricade. Yeah, 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 they, I they, could, no, I got to get on air. They, they were flooded at the time. Yeah, right. Pun intended. All right, but uh, I can report that the uh, streets of downtown Norfolk are indeed dry tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be able to put on a good show for you tonight. So tonight... Want to talk about uh, sort of some high-level finance, behavioral finance, behavioral finance, and overcoming financial biases. So, sort of um, the psychology of money instead of mm, the technical aspects of money. So, behavioral finance and overcoming financial biases, financial biases which tend to work against us in helping us achieve financial success. So being aware of financial biases can help us understand them, can help us understand when they're happening to us, 
and try allow us to develop techniques to counteract them so that we are more successful in our own personal financial situation. So what is behavioral finance? Well, it's a subfield of behavioral economics that proposes psychological influences and biases affect the financial behaviors of people. That's kind of a mouthful. Uh, So what does behavioral finance tell us? Helps us understand how financial decisions around things like investments, payments, risk, personal debt, are greatly influenced by human emotion, biases, cognitive limitations of the mind in processing and responding to information. So it kind of, it, it studies, uh, behavioral finance studies the weaknesses of the human condition around money. You know, money is probably one of the most powerful devices ever devised in human history, right? So powerful, has so many different meanings, so many different uses, so much emotion attached to it. You know, money is neither good nor bad. I know there's some people who like to say, well, if you have a lot of money, you must you're bad. You must have done something improper to get all that money. Yeah, money is the root of all evil. Right, there you go. Look yeah. at the perfect uh, you know, quote there. Um, but money is just money. It's an inanimate object. It's a tool. It's a hammer. You know, it's some, it's, it, it depends on how we use money determines whether money is good or bad. Our use of it. And there's a saying in the industry that, you know, having a lot of money doesn't build character, it reveals character. So you have a lot of money, the real you tends to come out. Because, you know, well, the good aspects of having a lot of money, power, control, in the best sense of the word, like power over your own life, power over your own circumstances, control over how to live your life, where to go, what to do, uh, when you do it. So the good sense of power and control uh, gives you money, gives you independence, it gives you freedom, uh, can give you contentment, pride, self-worth, a sense of achievement, and probably like 10 other good attributes we can assign to having money and, and what it can do and how it can make us feel. But the converse is true as well. There are a lot of bad characteristics that can result from having a lot of money. Power and control there, but in the bad sense of the word. Power over other people, power to manipulate, power to control others, their behavior, their emotions, their thoughts. Money can be addictive, can be enabling, can cause people to be lazy, lethargic, directionless, 
You know, the way that you described this, and I was thinking the words earlier, and you really just backed up the thought I had, is money is a lot like a drug. There's a difference between use and abuse. Mm -hmm. I learned that in psychology classes mm -hmm. when it comes to drugs and caffeine, mm -hmm. nicotine, down mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Use and abuse. And you just sounded like you described something that can either help perpetuate or help propel your life in positive ways or, or help facilitate its downfall. All right. The great analogy, you know, drugs yeah. in some in the right doses for the right reasons sure. can help us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're on Amazon. You buy that thing, you get that dopamine hit. Yeah. Oh, you get the email. Oh, it's in the mailbox. It's coming. It's on the way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin. Uh, pun not really intended. Uh, but money can be good or money can be bad. It's neither. It's inanimate. It's how we use it that determines whether it's good or bad. And I have a very unscientific uh, theory that is only supported by my life and professional experience, and that is extreme wealth and extreme poverty can cause similar dysfunctions. And I think a lot of people think, oh, come on, poverty is way, way worse. And yeah, there are certainly bad aspects to poverty, but when you think of really crushing poverty you where, where, situations that you 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 can't really work your way out of you don't you lose hope you become you 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 become hopeless you you feel like you can't get out of your circumstances you start to give up you start to take shortcuts because why bother working anyway why bother going to school i i will never amount to anything i will never have enough money i can't i can't find a car to get away. the crushing aspects of poverty become debilitating well guess what having a lot of money especially well let me clarify unearned money unearned money people who earn their money start a business work really hard sell it get a lot of money they're pretty healthy with my work hard become an athlete professional athlete make a lot of money you understand the sacrifice discipline it took to get there people tend to have healthier uh, approaches to money a lot of money when they've earned it unearned money lottery inheritance some windfall like that unexpected windfall um, mainly inheritance, the, the child of very wealthy people. Think of how many, throughout history, the, the children the, uh, throughout history have, had a, have struggled trying to find their way in life. Why? Because they can do anything. And when you can do anything, you can also do nothing. And you have no ambition, no drive. There's no, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to try. What's there to live for? Some superficial boats, drugs, you know. Sold. <laughs> right. And, and that's what everybody says. Well, I'd like to give it a try. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, but really unearned money is crippling and debilitating and can cause some of the same uh, dysfunctions that poverty does as well. Well, we're going to jump into more of this. Uh, we've got to take a short break right here. We'll be back right after these messages. If you want to jump in on the conversation or you have anything to talk about regarding your own personal financial situation, give me a call on studio line, 627-7979. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on News Talk 790 WNIS.
Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, president of Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. All right, tonight we're talking about behavioral finance and overcoming financial biases. So how, how does behavioral finance differ from, say, conventional financial theory? Well, conventional financial theory, as I was taught in college, and I think I'm pretty sure they still teach basically this in college, is that we are all rational actors, maximizing our utility dispassionately, assessing and weighing pros and cons of every financial decision, purchases, debt, uh, investments. We are cold, calculating, ruthless machines that uh, we can build formulas around and equations, and with that we can sort of predict the, the future outcomes, um, and that um, companies are rational actors, purely uh, built for profit maximization um, in very strict organizational uh, fashion. Well, that I learned a while ago is not reality. That is theory, but it is not practice, and it is not real world. Uh, Institutions, companies, businesses are made up of people, and people are inherently fallible. And we are all subject to biases and gaps in knowledge and emotions that skew that rational thinking that conventional uh, financial theory teaches. So, so... The, uh, the, so behavioral finance assumes that the markets are, are efficient and firms are rational profit mac- maximizing organization. I'm sorry, that's conventional theory, but behavioral finance counters each of those assumptions. And so by knowing, it, it introduces the human element into financial theory. And by understanding how and when people deviate from rational expectations, Behavioral finance provides a blueprint, kind of, to help us make better, more rational decisions when it comes to financial matters. Because by studying our mistakes, we can learn about them, we can correct them, we can be smarter about them, we can get better about overcoming them, and we can be better decision makers. All right. So, you know, what are some of those, the areas of study of behavioral finance? So uh, five main topic areas mental accounting, herd behavior, emotional gap, anchoring, and self-attribution. And then each of these areas of study kind of lead into more personal biases. Um, 
and each of us are kind of susceptible to these to different degrees. Like um, some of us may be very susceptible to herd behavior, following the group. Um, well, others others of us might not be uh, not be swayed by that at all. We don't care what other people are doing. I'm going to do my own thing, man. But you know what? I might have a, a, a problem with self attribution, which is where uh, I think that I'm smarter than I am, <laughs> and I have more control over outcomes than I actually do, and then that can cause me to make bad decisions. So let's go th- through a few of these, take them uh, a little bit more in detail. So mental accounting. Mental accounting refers to the propensity for people to allocate money for, s- for specific purposes. On the surface, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's kind of like bucketing, right? Some people like to bucket their money. Do that with a Christmas club. Do they do Christmas clubs anymore? I, do they? they used, no? Well, when I was a kid, we had I had a Christmas club. You put it like a dollar away a week, and 50 weeks, you got 50 bucks to spend on Christmas. It was bucketed in the Christmas club account and couldn't be touched for anything else. So you sort of mentally cordon off that area of your finances. And so if you do that in small degrees, then uh, that's definitely not harmful and can actually be beneficial. But if you cling too tightly to the idea of um, segmenting your finances, segmenting your money into different buckets, then it can become counterproductive. Because uh, for most of us in, in our practice, uh, the, the, one of the primary goals is to grow your net worth, grow your net worth over time. Net worth is another term for your wealth. Your, all your assets minus your liabilities equals your stuff. Um, your money. And if you bucket too much and you cling to those buckets, you tend to make independent decisions for each bucket, which might not be good for the overall whole because you're foc- you don't see the forest through the trees. That's, that's it. You know, you're focused on the minutia instead of the big picture. And that can be self-limiting to your net worth. So mental accounting taken too, taken too far can be counterproductive. Herd behavior. Herd behavior states that people tend to mimic the financial behaviors of the majority of the herd. And herding is notorious in the stock market as the cause behind dramatic rallies and sell-offs, right? When we have extreme highs and extreme lows, people are just following the herd. They're doing what they're office mate is doing. They're doing what their neighbor's doing. Well, if everyone else is doing it, I better be be doing it too, because they got to be right. I'm not sure what I'm doing. So if everybody else do, I'm just going to do what they're doing, following the herd. And you can follow the herd right off the cliff if you're not careful. Um, So you, you know, herd mentality, probably good back in caveman days to keep us alive that so there's some human element to where this stuff comes from that that was very that's valuable uh, for our survival but when it comes to your own personal finances uh, herd behavior is typically not a good uh, approach your personal finances are unique and personal to you 
Your goals are unique and personal to you. Therefore, the techniques that you use to try to achieve those goals and objectives are different than the herd, are most likely different than the herd. So just doing what everybody else is doing because they're, they're doing it doesn't necessarily lead to success. In fact, it usually leads to, let's call it, I won't call it failure, call it underperformance. How about emotional gap? How much time we got? Uh, we got to break in about 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Well, then we don't have time for the emotional gap. We're going to talk about the emotional gap when we come back after these messages. Uh, if you want to jump in on conversation, 627-7979. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on News Talk 790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm your host, certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, president of Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, you can look us up online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Once there, you can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the uh, drop-down menu, uh, in the dialog boxes there, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your name and address for is just to send you the information that you request. Or if you have some nuanced questions, want to speak to a live human being, we'd love to talk to you at the office, 757-456-2200. For those of you who can't get this show live every second and fourth Tuesday at 6 p.m., you can get it as a podcast. Search for Dollars in Common Sense wherever you get your podcasts. Download us, take us with you wherever you go, and listen at your leisure. And if you're into social media, we got a presence on Facebook and LinkedIn. Search for Wealthway Financial Advisors. Hit that like or follow button. And usually about once a week, we put up a financial planning-oriented post. All right, 627-7979 if you want to join me on the conversation regarding behavioral finance and overcoming financial biases. So I was talking about some of the uh, main behavioral finance concepts and issues that result from the human element and our relationship with money. It is not uh, as we, as I was taught in college, and I often wonder why I paid so much money for <laughs> some of this uh, financial education, because um, you know mainstream financial theory makes the assumption that people are rational actors, that they are free from emotion or the effects of culture and society relations, and that people are just self-interested utility maximizers. And, it, and so, you know, by extension, that the markets are efficient and firms are rational, profit-maximizing machines. Well, behavioral finance throws a wrench into all of that. 
by saying, not so fast, uh, there's human beings that orchestrate all of this. There's a human element to all of it. Humans have not yet, are not yet perfect beings. We make mistakes, we have weaknesses, some of them as they relate towards money. So we study them, we talk about them, we try to learn from them, and we try to get better at our decision-making when it comes to money. So I was going through uh, a list of some of the main behavioral finance concepts. I was getting to emotional gap. The emotional gap refers to decision-making based on extreme emotions or emotional strains, such as anxiety, anger, fear, excitement. And then oftentimes, emotions are a key reason why people do not make rational choices. The more emotional you are in making a decision, typically speaking, the more wrong that decision is going to be. Emotions, of course, are important. They are what make us human and showing good, healthy uh, emotions to one another and our fellow man makes the world a better place. Emotions are not inherently bad, but too strong of emotions or improperly placed emotions around finances and money then can lead to bad decision-making. And, you know, you see it, um, we see it sometimes, fear and greed. There we go, fear and greed. Two of the biggest emotional drivers of finance, investing, um, personal, um, personal gain, financial gain, fear and greed. Uh, and it's well documented in stock market performance that um, the those emotional swings between fear and greed are what sometimes drive the equity markets to unhealthy positions. Too high sometimes, more than valuations would suggest, and then too low sometimes. Where just so too high, greed. It's going up. Got to get in. Got to stay in. Got to follow the herd. Want to get in? Oh, what was that app? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. One of the. It was an app, a, a stock trading app that was kind of popular with millennials a couple years ago, and it it made um, it made tr- buying stocks or mutual funds, ETFs. Uh, it made buying stocks like a game, and you know you you bought some stocks, and some confetti gets released, and there's some balloons, and like we, you know, this is fun, and like all oh, my friends are doing it, and 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 so there's a theory that that because it was so popular at the time was a unhealthy driver of stock market prices uh, on the high end, uh, that that stock market. Um, prices during that period of time might have been more elevated than cir- than circumstances and and cold rationality um, would suggest. So, you know, greed, going after more, it's fun. Let's play the game. So that's not investing. But the office, opposite is true. Fear. Stock market starts to decline. It's into bear market territory. Twenty percent or greater decline from some previous peak. Maybe it goes down further. People who don't have an investment plan, investment strategy, and don't integrate 
that investment plan with a ongoing analytical financial plan, they don't they don't know what this means. They don't know what this decline really means. Do do they have to work longer? Are they going to run out of money one day? Will they not have enough to live on in retirement? I don't know, but all I know is my account value keeps going down and I don't want to lose it all. I'm going to be wiped out. I have I I got to sell, I got to get out. I don't care that I'm selling it at, at a loss. I am I, I don't understand what's happening here. I want out. I'm terrified. Make it stop. Sell. Well, that's the absolute wrong thing to do at that period of time. That's one of the best times to be buying. But yet fear takes over. And so people sell. They lock in losses. That's permanent loss. Um, and, you know, you don't recoup that very easily. You got to get back in at some point. And people who have been burned like that typically either don't get don't get in quickly and they miss a big run up uh, or they're done. And they're just done investing and they take the money to the bank and they live on 1 or 2%, you know, interest rates out of savings and checking accounts, which really draws down your standard of living and obviously unnecessarily, but all driven by extreme emotion and emotional gap. So, anchoring, attaching rigidly to a past value to the detriment of effective decision-making. We see this one from time to time in our practice. Well, you know, my assets were over a million dollars, and I'll just, I don't want to do anything until it gets back there. Million dollars. I, I wish I had a, that million dollars that I saw a year ago on my statement. Well, well, what would you have, what would you have done differently? Well, nothing. But I just I just want to see a million dollars. Well, you know, you still have nine hundred thousand dollars, and we've done the math, we've done the analysis. That's still more than enough to live comfortably on for the rest of your life, based on your current spending level. Yeah, but I, I want a million dollars. But why do you want? To? I don't because I had a million dollars. It was a so you're anchoring at a at a number that doesn't really have that much overall meaning just because it was there at one point in time. And so you, you, you lose sight, you lose focus of what's really important, and which is, do I have enough money to last my lifetime at my current spending level? You lose focus of that, and then you fixate on this idea of just having a particular number in order to make you happy. And it's not the number that makes you happy, they forget. It's the fact that you have enough total assets combined to generate enough income to support the lifestyle that you have been come, that you have become accustomed to. So just anchoring is sort of an irrational stance towards looking at your investments. And then self-attribution is the fifth sort of main behavioral finance concept. And this is one of my favorites, self-attribution. Self-attribution refers to a, t a tendency to make choices based on overconfidence in one's own knowledge or skill. Self-attribution usually stems from an intrinsic knack in a particular area. And within this category, individuals tend to rank their knowledge higher than others, even when it objectively falls short. So a little bit of technical jargon in there, 
But what, what that refers to in our world, and I'm going to have to apologize in advance for certain career occupations, but doctors tend to have an overinflated sense of their competence in finance based on their excellent skill of saving human lives and, and, and making us healthier and better uh, over time. That's actually called the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger. And that's, that's when somebody is really competent at one thing, mm. so then they think they know, oh, well, I'm, I must be great at this other thing, too, because yeah. I'm so great at this one thing. Which yeah. may have no relevance to... 100%. To each other. Yeah. 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 So so doctors are kind of known. Uh, and and I, we have some doctor clients. They're wonderful clients. They're an exception to all this. I'm not talking about all doctors. But because they're really good at a really important thing, that that then... That confidence. Overconfidence. Yeah. Or the confidence there mm-hmm. leads to overconfidence in other areas in which they don't have as much competence. So they tend to um, think that they are more competent than they actually are in managing money because they're really good at doing really important things and saving lives and and making us healthier, which is really important, and we're not discounting that at all. But that doesn't make them good financial stewards. Another one that I'm going to throw out there are engineers. Engineers think investing is a prob- is an equation that can be solved. That if they just find the right inputs, the right plus multiplied by seven, square root of two, the exponent to the third power, then I'll outperform. Everything's an equation that has an answer. Right, yeah. right. And that's not true in personal finance or in investment management. There is a well, fair amount. It's like when you say you can't predict stocks. You can't yeah. predict stocks. But I go, right. but but Kevin, I had that Robinhood app, and it has all the graphs and different right. charts that show you the ups and downs. And if you just follow the formula, you get it right. That's what right. the guys online say. Right, right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the ego kicks in there, too, because if you're really good at one thing and people around you acknowledge you're really good at that thing, yeah. well, it takes a lot to get there. It takes a lot of knowledge. takes a lot of discipline to get there, and it takes some ego. And right. sometimes that gets in the way of our good decision-making, like you said, with emotions. And when there is, while there is a fair amount of science in the investment management process and math and equations and, and um, uh, technical study, there's also a fair amount of art involved as well. Uh, So it's a little bit like architecture as opposed to engineering. Architecture is foundationally uh, built on engineering and science and, and, you know, I guess weights and angles. angles, Yeah. But also the beauty it's how the architect uses the technical to create a beautiful structure which is artistic and maybe enduring and beautiful to look at um using the 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 technical part to create something uh artistic and in total it's a much better process so you've got to have both have a solid foundation and then they build that beautiful art on top of it yeah yeah and so engineers kind of miss that art part they got a little self-attribution hang up Hmm. and then sort of the last one i'll slide in there uh a fair segment of the do-it-yourselfers um 
don't know what they don't know, but they think they know everything they need to know. So they don't really know as much as they think they do, but they think it's enough. And hey, it's your money. You can always do with your money what you want to do. And if you're content and happy doing it yourself, then you should just keep doing that. But in almost every case, a professional, uh, a competent fiduciary, professional financial advisor can bring much more resources to your personal financial situation. And, and, and I would just say we see a lot of underperformance in, in totality from do-it-yourselfers, that they tend to fixate on the wrong thing. They don't see the big picture. They don't know what they don't know, um, and then, but are content to do it themselves. And so they kind of they grow their net worth a lot slower than, than somebody who works with a professional because of self-attribution. So, Kevin, you've laid out a lot of uh, different examples of the, just the, the way that people think when it comes about their money, when it comes to the thinking about and dealing and managing with their money and some of the hangups that people have. So if that rings out to somebody listening right now and they go, yeah, yeah, that kind of sounds like me. What is the first step to talking with a financial advisor? And, and again, if we don't trust people and we don't want anybody else touching our money and, and I don't I'll talk from experience. I don't really trust people. So, you know, we want to hold that stuff tight. It took so hard to work for it yeah. i'm not ready to just lose it like people say where do you start that search yeah well i mean so if you want to work with a financial advisor then um you know we always recommend you start your search with the certified financial planner because it's the highest mark of competency in the profession and you can search for a certified financial planner professional in your area, whether it's here in Hampton Roads or Northern Virginia or down in North Carolina, if you're listening down there, at the CFP board's website, um, they have uh, a search feature there, Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards website. And I think their consumer-facing uh, website is called plannersearch.org. So that's a good place to start right there. You, you know, like plug in your city and search in a 25-mile radius, search for certified financial planners. Next, then you want to look for those certified financial planners that I believe work for an independent registered investment advisor. So that would weed out some of the big boys. Um, I guess I will not say their names, but uh, the large institutional industrial um, financial brokerage houses those are sales-based financial advisors. Um, in, the reg in the independent registered investment advisor space, that's where you have more service-based financial advisors, and that will point you in the right direction as well. So looks like we have to take a short break. We're going to run and do that. we got a couple minutes left. 627-7979. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on News Talk 790 WNIS. Wealthway Financial Advisors, planning for life. 
and welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, president of Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, we are online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. You can sign up for a free quarterly newsletter or request an information packet at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the dialog boxes there, select the appropriate drop-down menu. We'll get that out later on. To, uh, get that out to you later on this week. That's all we will use your name and address for, just to send you the information that you request. Our next show. We'll be in two weeks, our next live show. Uh, got to rebroadcast on Saturday morning, but we got uh, next live show on Tuesday, November 28th at 6 p.m. as usual. But if you can't catch us live every second and fourth Tuesday, then get this show as a podcast. Search for Dollars and Common Sense wherever you get your podcasts. Download us, take us with you wherever you go, and you can listen at your convenience. All right, tonight we're talking about behavioral finance and the biases that can result. Went through a list of um, main topic areas from behavioral finance, some biases that flow from those concepts that I want to get to pretty quickly before we run out of time here. Confirmation bias, when investors have a bias towards accepting information that confirms their already held belief in investment. So you don't look at it objectively. You don't look at it factually. You don't look at it dispassionately. You just look for confirmation of what you already think about the investment. Experiential bias occurs when investors' memory of recent events leads them to believe that the event is far more likely to occur again, also called recency bias. So a good example of that, financial crisis 2008-2009, that was a doozy. That was a knee knocker. Uh, you know, that, 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 that was a big decline in investment values, and a lot of people lost their job during that time. Recession, panic, chaos all around the place. People still remember that 15 years later, and they make decisions based on it. Loss aversion occurs when investors place a greater weight on the concern for losses than the pleasure from the market gains. Far more likely to try to assign a higher priority to avoiding loss than making investment gains. That emotion is where insurance companies make a ton of money selling equity indexed annuities. And then I'm going to have to hold familiarity bias for another time because I'm running out of time. Uh, it's been a great show. Hopefully there was some uh, knowledge there that you gained about uh, personal finance and the biases that can result. Watch out for it, learn from it, grow from it, be better financially because of it. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. You've been listening to Dollars and Common Sense on News Talk 790 WNIS. The preceding program was sponsored and paid for by Wealthway Financial Advisors. We are solely responsible for its content. <laughs>